0: Thank you for worship this morning. My goodness, those ladies' voices were so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we are opening your word. We are seeking you this morning. We are seeking your wisdom. We are seeking that you would turn to us, that you would look down on us. And Father, if we need correction, if we need rebuke, then, then discipline us as, as you would your children. Discipline us, Father, that we could stay on your path. We are desperately seeking your narrow path. And Father, we, we cannot help but be worried about our brothers and sisters in this valley, in our country, and around the world. And Father, we want to do something. We want to have more than lip service, Father. So as we go through the service, please equip us that as we head out into our work and to our friend lives, into our, our daily lives, that we would be helping those around us. That they would see you and know you and hear you, Father. As we lift up this time that we have together to you. We ask all of that in the loving name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Word. Amen. And again, thank you, Carolyn. That was... Amazing this morning. No. All right. So if you open your Bibles, we are in John chapter 7. We are in verses 14 through 24. It says, Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who was trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you were all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. I titled this message today, Turn to the Law Giver. That is, at the the middle of, of what Jesus has to say for today. We're still in that overall theme of faith, and we're adding to that today, heart, examining what is in our heart and thinking about what kind of heart Jesus is seeking, and then truth. A major portion of what Jesus talks about this morning is how we can know the truth. What is true? We'll start off with our, our history portion. So remember, it's, it's Passover. Well, uh, sorry, chapter 6 was Passover. Um, so they went to, uh, they, they were up there at the, the northern part of the lake, and they had the whole thing with the feeding of the 5,000. And then this is about six months later at the Feast of Tabernacles. And if we go to the beginning, uh, our verse from last week, there's this whole thing where Jesus' brothers come to him, and they say, Hey, we should go down to, uh, to, uh, to Jerusalem, and you should do all of these wonderful works that you've been doing. You know, you should be a public figure. You should be out doing these things in the open. And, and Jesus says, no, that's a bad idea. And then he waits until halfway through the festival, and he goes anyway. Remember, Jesus has been traveling around the northern area of Israel. He has been avoiding the southern kingdom, Judea, because the leadership has resolved to kill him. We read that in chapter 5. He has been up to, to Tyre and Saedon and down to the Decapolis, the 10 cities. And again, last week, his brothers came to him and asked him to go to Jerusalem to perform his miracles, to perform his works. This is a striking thing. It says, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Instead, they do it on Instagram or TikTok. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Notice verse 5. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. They believe that Jesus wants to be a public figure, to gain popularity, power. They do not believe that he is the Messiah. That's striking, considering that they grew up with him, they've known him, they have seen him, they have lived with him, and yet they do not believe. This ties right into uh, John two, twenty three through twenty five. It says Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. He knew their hearts. He knew their hearts were not right. These were his own brothers and their hearts were not right. They were seeking him for the wrong reasons, for the wrong motives, for worldly reasons, for selfish reasons. Right? Again, if, if Jesus made it onto the, the Sanhedrin, under the ruling council, the family is set. Power and money and, and fame, influence, all of those things would trickle onto the family. That's what they must be thinking. Wow, our brother can do all these amazing things. Mom says that he's of God. He's got to be of the priestly line. What if he becomes the high priest of Israel? That'd be great. The crowds are thinking, wow, this guy might be able to cast off the Romans. For sure he can provide bread and heal. This would be great. Revolution, let's go. Let's make him king. And Jesus the whole time is saying, "Um, it's not why I'm here. I'm here to cause a revolution, yes, but in your hearts. I'm here to get you to turn back to God. Let's go to Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 17. It says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Not that they may be rich, not that they may be wealthy, not that they may be free from Roman rule, not that they may have money and power and position, nice houses, that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes about this righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness. That is, by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For as with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That verse 14 through 15, that's us. That's our mission. That is what we are supposed to be doing. We come in here to get trained up to go out and to do this. So that the people that have not heard can hear from those who are sent. Verse 16 says, But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. At the very top there, verse 5 through 7, he is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Paul is, So if we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 through 16, it's to tease this idea out. It says, Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven, so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. That is the foundation, seeking and obeying the Lord as a lifelong pursuit. The good news is that we don't have to be perfect in our obedience and we don't have to be perfect in our doctrine. A great example of that is the thief on the cross. He broke the law. He said, I'm guilty. I'm I'm up here because I deserve to be. He broke the law. He broke the Ten Commandments. There he was. And yet, when he turned to Jesus, he said, please remember me. What does Jesus say to him? He said, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. We balance that, for those of us who got to wake up this morning, with Acts 2.42. I put it in your bulletin. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's us. That's the church. It should reinforce our Bible study. If we were to flip back a little bit to to John chapter 5. He's talking to the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees there, and he says, You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So how are we saved? By coming to Jesus. Faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. But... The Scriptures, the Old Testament, it does what? It testifies, it witnesses, it speaks about Jesus. That is a heck of a thing to say, isn't it? That if you want to know Jesus, diligently study the Scriptures. Strange, it says that in Acts 2.42, devoted to the Apostles' teaching. And hopefully, we are dedicated, we are rededicated to studying the Word, the Apostles' teaching. The next lesson that Jesus teaches us is that God will not be manipulated. So, what do you pray for? Do you pray? What do you pray for? I challenge you to pray bigger. It's kind of a strange thing to say in the light of what I just said, but I dare you to pray bigger. Remember that you are praying to the creator of the universe. That when you look up at the stars, the author of creation is holding all of that together. That before we were even around, we even knew what being around was. He knew you. He knew you. He knew exactly where you would be today. He knew that. So when you pray, think about how big God is. He's much bigger than we can possibly fathom. All the petty material things that bog us down in our prayer, all the things that we immediately turn ourselves down in prayer. Ah, God doesn't want that from me. God doesn't, I I can't ask for that. I can't ask for the, the, the big stuff. I can't do that. God wouldn't give it to me anyway. No, don't do that to yourself. Don't stop up your prayer. Remember who you are praying to. If we wanted to go tease this out, we'd go to to Job 38 or Job 40. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone?" While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, This far you may come and no farther? Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? God is bigger. He's much bigger. So if you are timid in your prayers... If you're afraid to ask for things, go and read Job chapter 38 and Job 40. However, God is not yours to command. You may ask. You may beg. You may entreat. But God is still God. He is still King of kings. He is still Lord of lords. Remember how the Lord's Prayer starts. How does it start? It says, Our Father, who art in heaven hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So, with humility, on our knees, we approach the throne room of God. This is not an if-then relationship, if I ask, God will. No. If you ask, and if God is willing, if it is God's plan, then God will. That's what happens to, to Jesus' brothers. They want Jesus to go to Jerusalem for their purposes, Jesus tells them no. However, when it suits God's purposes, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. It happens to be halfway through the festival. The brothers want Jesus to go and perform signs. Instead, Jesus goes and teaches. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, is exactly this same reaction. It's one of those, those verses that you go, bah, because it says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Listen to Jesus' response. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And then he does what? He changes the water into wine. It pleased God to do that. But notice the difference, right? When Jesus turns to his brothers, he says, My time is not yet here, for you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. And after he said this, he stayed in Galilee. The difference between the brothers and Mary is in that response. Listen to what she says. Do whatever he tells you. She asks. She asks big. They're out of wine. Son, I have no idea. Can you help? He says, "I want, my time has not yet come. She doesn't go, come on. She doesn't go, ah, you got to do this. She doesn't go, hey, you know, if you loved me, you would do this. He doesn't do this. She doesn't do that. Instead, she remembers that he is king of kings and lord of lords and says, do whatever he tells you. Because he could have just as easily just sat right back down. Right? He could have just as easily not turned the water into wine. But it pleased God and it pleased his plan to fulfill that prayer. So be bold enough to ask and humble enough to accept what God says. I love listening to Steve Harvey. but He talks about this. He talks about a time when he was living in his car and how he was about ready to give up on his show business career. He talks about... He was down to his last bit of money. He was praying to God, going, God, you've got to open a door for me. You've got to show me something if I'm meant to stay on this path. And he gets back to his answering machine, and sure enough, there's the, the call saying, hey, you got to come out to New York. I'm going to put you on night at the Apollo. And then he's looking at his bank account, and he's going, man, I, I can't afford that. I can't afford the gas to get from Florida to New York. He goes, out to a club, his usual gig, comes back home. There's another call on his answering machine. Hey, man, if you can be here Friday night, get you enough money. They'll pay for you to go to New York and and stay at the hotel, and then you can host the Apollo. And it works out for him. He opens those doors. Pray big, because sometimes God will say yes. Be bold enough to ask and humble enough to accept the answer. So in God's time and in God's way, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. He goes to the temple. And he begins to teach. There's a response. There's a response of unbelief. We've talked about this quite a bit these last three chapters. There's a lot of unbelief. There's a lot of people that do not believe him. John seven five. For even his own brothers did not believe him. John seven fifteen. The Jews that were amazed and asked, "How did this man get such learning without having been taught?" Go to John 6, verses 60 through 68. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe, and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Then he turns to the twelve and he says, You do not want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And that amazement in, in 7.15 is not the kind of amazement that leads to salvation. They're scoffing, they're ridiculing, they're going to continue to ridicule Jesus. So what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say that gets that kind of a divisive response? you think it was the stuff from the, the Sermon on the Mount, the be nice to everyone, the love your neighbor, the don't cheat, don't lie, don't steal? You think that's what it was? I don't think so. What did Jesus say? I've got a list here. I put it in your, in your bulletins. He says he came down from heaven. That's in John 3.13, 6.38, 62, and 8.23. John 3.13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. He claimed to have been sent into the world by the Father. John 3.17, 4.34, 5.23-24, 30, 36-38, 6.29, 39, 44, 46, 57. Is that a play? Omaha? Wait, no. John three seventeen. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus claimed to be the Savior of the world. To be the judge, the prosecuting attorney, and the defense attorney of eternity. That's John 5, through 27. It says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, So he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Jesus claims to be the source of eternal life. Think about John 3.16. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. This is John 4.14. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He claims to be the only way to God in John 14.6. It says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He claims to have honor equal to God, John 5.23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. He claims to be one with God, and that's John 10.30, I and the Father are one. To have power to raise the dead, John five twenty eight through twenty nine. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. He claims to be the Messiah testified about in the Old Testament, John five thirty nine and John five um five forty six, to be without sin in John eight forty six, to have all authority in heaven and on earth. John 17:2 For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. To have authority to answer prayer, John 14:13 through 14, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. He claimed to be the living water and the bread of life. That's John 6:33 through 51. We read that a couple weeks ago. He claimed to be the light of the world in John 3.19. He claims to be the resurrection and the life. This is John 11.25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And lastly, he claimed to be the Son of God. John 3.18. That's a stark contrast. It says that the people were amazed that he spoke with authority. They spoke as one who had authority, not like their current teachers. Quite frankly, I speak in a very similar way to the teachers of the time did. I quote the Bible, and then other Bible scholars like Spurgeon and John Piper and John MacArthur and Alistair Begg. If you were to go to synagogue at this time, that's what you would have heard. You would have, they would have picked up a scroll, they would have read from it, and then whoever was teaching would have said, "Hey, so we have, you know, some teachings from these guys who have studied these things before." Talked about the famous teachers of the time. That is why the people were amazed when Jesus would speak. Cuz he wouldn't get up here and he wouldn't say, "Hey, you know, Spurgeon says or Piper says or MacArthur says." He would say, "My Father, I am the bread of life. I am the living water." Do you see the difference? Does that make an impact that that you understand the difference between what they were hearing versus what they heard from Jesus? It gets us to this beautiful quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. And again, that's C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. And the point of going through all that is to get you to the place where the crowd was. In verse 15, it says the crowd was amazed. Are you amazed? Are you amazed at what Jesus said about himself, that whole list that we went through? It's on the right side of your bulletins if you need a refresher. Think about John 6, 35 through 40. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. Jesus is polarizing. He was polarizing then, He is polarizing now. The crowd is scoffing. They're ridiculing. They say, Who is this guy? He hasn't gone to seminary. He doesn't have a master's degree in divinity. You Think that's really the issue? No, that's not really the issue. They didn't like what Jesus said. They faced the choice that C.S. Lewis talked about. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. Most people did, and they continue to reject Jesus. John 1, verses 9 through 14, it talks exactly about this. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What's crazy is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, he says, you know what? You don't have to take my word for it. That's a stunning thing for him to say, isn't it? That through your human wisdom, you can know the truth. That's a heck of a thing to say. He says, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God, or whether I speak on my own. So if you are doubtful, if you're still on the fence, if you're stale or burnt out or tired, Jesus says, turn to God, obey God, and the truth will be revealed to you. That's a stunning thing to say. Think back to to John chapter 5. It's where Jesus talks about the things that testify about him. He says, my works testify about me. My very deeds that I do testify about me. Even, even today, we can't disprove the things that Jesus did. We have these biographies written by these folks. We have all these real places, real places that you can go today. All these events. Think about this guy that was paralyzed in, in chapter 5 that was healed. It's been six months. He's come back to Jerusalem if that didn't happen, if it was some kind of a parlor trick, if it was some kind of a stage thing, if it was a plant, even though everyone knew the guy, he'd been paralyzed for 38 years. If it was some kind of a trick, at this point they could have confronted him. They said, ah, no, you didn't actually heal that guy. You held him up with wires, or it was a mirror, or it was something. No one does that. No one confronts him saying, no, 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 you didn't actually heal him, it was a lie. Instead they accuse him of being demon-possessed. That's the answer? So instead, Jesus refers to his healing in verse 21, right? Over in 521, that's what he says. He says, I did this one miracle, and you're amazed. But Jesus says that his works, his deeds testify about him. Then he says that God and the Holy Spirit testify about him. And then he says the scriptures testify about him. Jesus says, hey, you've heard of me. You've heard from me. Now go do your homework. And if you put any effort, into actually seeking God, actually seeking meaning and salvation, it will all lead right back to me, right back to Christ. Not self-centered, man-centered, searching for the God in yourself, searching for your truth. And quite frankly, if you turn to idols or you worship yourself, you get what you deserve. Think about Nicodemus in John chapter 3. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. But Jesus continues and he gives us another test. He says, Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. He says, Follow the money. You guys watch QVC? It's kind of fun. But it's not about what they can give, right? It's what they can get. All of those commercials, those dedicated channels. It's funny what the the kids, they like watching TV and they get mad. Like if I mute or go past the commercials. I'm like, really? But those commercials are designed to do one thing. To get money from you. It's what they can get from you. All of them. All the ads that, that pop up compared to what can we give? How can we serve? What needs do we see and how can we meet those needs? All the ads, they use fears and insecurities and worldly desires. And they promise us things. They promise us things like power and wealth and and beauty and position. But really, what do they want? They want something from you. They want money. Jesus says, I don't speak on my own. I'm here to give you, what my Father sent me to give you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to take your place, to take my Father's wrath for you. He says, you'll know that I am true because I'm not trying to take anything from you. Heard this this morning on on my way here. was listening to an interview with an evolutionary biologist. It was kind of the craziest thing, but said something amazing, and that is that a freedom that you have that you can't use is not real. If you have a freedom, you're supposed to have a freedom, and you can't use it, that's not a real freedom. It doesn't, it's not actually exist. God says you have freedom. You have a choice. You can choose me, or you can choose to reject me. And it's a true choice. No restrictions, no exclusions, no quid pro quos. It's right there. He puts no pressure on you. No one made you come in here today. No one made you listen to these words. I know it's different in other countries, but still, you still have a choice. You can choose Jesus or not. So Jesus says, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Then Jesus gives us a mini lesson on sin and the law. He says, has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? And they respond, you are demon possessed. He was trying to kill you. And Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you were all amazed yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the, whole man's bo- so the man's whole body on the Sabbath, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Now, verse 20 is where we get the flavor of the crowd. Remember, if we were to, to just go right back up to verse 11, it says, now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? So if you're in the crowd, right? if you're shouting out, you are demon possessed. Who is trying to kill you? Well, the people that were just looking for me. That's who. But the crowd mocks and scoffs. You are crazy. No one is trying to kill you. And still, Jesus gives them a lesson on having a God-centered heart and faith. They believe their salvation depended on them keeping the law. So he gives them a riddle. He says, if a baby was born on Friday and needed to be circumcised on the following Saturday, what is the answer? Do you keep the Sabbath and wait until Sunday, or do you break the Sabbath and circumcise anyway? The answer was obvious. They held circumcisions all the time on the Sabbath. They didn't give it a second thought. And Jesus says, then why wasn't it okay for me to heal a whole person on the Sabbath? If it's okay to perform a surgery on the Sabbath, why was it wrong to heal? And then he partners that with, not one of you manages to actually keep the law. Now well, think about that. If no one, not one of these folks could keep the law, then what is the hope? What is the hope of salvation if it is not in the law? It must be something else. If there is a conflict in following the law, where do we turn? Jesus says but no one answered, we turn to God. That's what he says. He says, You turn to God, the source of truth, the lawgiver. Paul teases this out in Romans chapter 3. He says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one has kept the law. And all are justified freely by his grace through a redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where, then, is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. We turn to the author of the law. We turn to the lawgiver. That's what it says in verse 21. And then he concludes by saying, start judging rightly, turn back to God. If we go right back up, just a few verses. Because it says, Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Isn't that incredible? It's how you can know the truth about God. Turn back to Him. Start judging rightly. Turn back to God. So as we head into communion, this is our prayer. I pray that you turn to God, to the truth giver, to the law giver, to the author of creation, to the author of salvation, to the bread of life, to the living water, and be renewed in your devotion to Christ. We have the kiddos back. Do we need to go get them for communion? Are we? You want to go grab the kiddos? Great. Let's bow our heads and pray while we're waiting for the kiddos to come back father your wisdom is amazing even as we stand in rebellion even as we stand self-satisfied that you still cry out to us to turn back to you that as we lean on our own understanding that you use that to turn us back to you that through all of our stumblings and all of our failings, all of our pride and all of our self-worship that you haven't given up on us, that you gave us today our daily bread. Father, please forgive us our sins. Please forgive us our rebellion. Please soften our hearts, open our minds that we could turn back to you Again, Father, think about our our kids and our our schools and our valley and our, our state and our nation. Father, so many people need to know you. They need to turn to you. Father, if there's any way that we can partner with you, please show us that path, open that door, give us that provision that we could do so. Father, we lift up this upcoming week to you. And as we come to take communion, Father, we rededicate ourselves to your Son, to the bread of life, to the living water, the one who gave himself up for us. Please help us come with fresh eyes and broken hearts to eating the elements today. Amen. Amen. Got the kiddos? Um, so we're trying to use up the last of the covid um uh, elements so uh turn to your neighbor and find out who either has a pocket knife or fingernails right now sort that out again as john said tall people over here and short people over here i'll be headed over this way i know so (laughs) Uh, but again, please come up by rows. Please grab the elements. Everyone is welcome. Please join us for communion. Again, take, this is your time. This is your time to worship God. This is your time to take these elements in and your time. In a few minutes, um, I will read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and you can join me in partaking of the elements, or you can do this on your own time or in your family or however it, it's right for you. This is your time with God, right? So can we come up in rows? Grunkle, lead us off. Of course we are. Hi. Good. How are you? Oh my gosh, it was a long time. Do we miss anybody? I don't want anybody to left be left out. Do we get everyone, everyone taken care of? Great. So we're in First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty three through twenty six, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, he blessed, and he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant, which is sealed in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Father, again, we come with thankful hearts. We are seeking refreshment, renewal as we come into the Christmas of fall that we would be focused on you, that our ears and our eyes and our hearts would be tuned to listen to you. Please help us to cast aside the distractions. Please help us to break down Our walls and our walls with our neighbors, please help us to open our doors that we could welcome the people that you have put on our lives into our lives. We are thankful for the family that you have given us here in the church. Please help us to grow closer, to love and forgive each other, to give each other grace, and to help and and move as you intend for us to be. Please help us to be a church that is pleasing to your eyes. Thank you for your son. Thank you for redemption and for the many blessings you have given us in this life as we look forward to Jesus returning and as we look forward to the next life with you. Amen. I think we got produce and stuff.